Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. And so I'm excited. You're getting ready to find out that we win. Uh, at the end of service today, we're going to be baptized in four, six, I don't know how many people, but that's part of the, the, the revelation that we win, that God is still doing great things. Amen. Well, welcome to Passion. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different this morning. If you haven't been with us for uh, a good length of time, this is going to seem uh, new to you, but we've been doing what we're doing this morning for a while. Uh, several years ago, when we were meeting on Northwest Expressway, we started something called Doctrine and Dinner. We were small enough at the time that what we would do on Sunday morning is we'd move all the sanctuary chairs and put tables in the room and eat together. And, uh, and so y'all are getting shortchanged on the dinner because we were too large anymore to do that. So we had to change it to Doctrine Donuts. I hope you got a donut this morning. Uh, but we'll run your, your lunch with a donut. But, but a way of just coming together and, and, and fellowshipping that way. But the, the key part of that is the doctrine part. What we've discovered is that it is absolutely essential for people to understand what we believe. How can, how can you live your life in, in lockstep with everybody that claims the name of Jesus if you don't even understand what we believe? And so what we did is we started on the five cardinal doctrines of our church, which is salvation, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and second coming. You can go right back onto our website and listen to all those and catch up. And so we finished that, and, and I was kind of like, well, what are we going to do now? There are a lot of things we could talk about, but I want to make sure that it's kind of where we are. And I uh, started talking to my dad, and, and uh, we're going to start this morning. You're going to have to be really faithful in your attendance over the next year and a half. It'll take us seven doctrines and donuts to do this, but seven core values that we believe are absolutely essential for you to understand so that you know why we do what we do. And so in light of that, what we always do, uh, is I figure that I ought to bring somebody in that can, can actually explain much better than I can what we believe. And so this morning, as we have in the past, my dad is here to bring you a word, and it is going, I already heard it once, it's powerful. It's, in fact, so far, maybe the best one so far, as far as I'm concerned. And so I want you to give a huge Passion Church welcome to my dad, Bob Ely, as he brings the word this morning. Well, what a pleasure to be here and to worship the Lord with you in this service. Uh, I told him in the morning service, if that worship, uh, we used to say, if that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. And if that worship didn't bless you this morning, wow, he is the center of it all. Thank God for his presence in this service. Well, after the death of our Bishop uh, Ronald Carpenter Sr., uh, Dr. Doug Beecham, who sometimes gets to, to, to attend here, our new general super, superintendent, and 10 leaders, uh, met in Dallas, Texas for two days of prayer and Bible study concerning the future of the church. What is God saying to us as a denomination, as a body of Christ? And out of that prayer and fasting and Bible study, uh, they came up with a theme verse from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3. And out of that study, they came up with two things, that we are a place of hope and we are a people of promise. We're a place of hope, and we're a people of promise. And then as they continued their study, they hit upon seven core values that reflect that truth of who we really are. If we are a place of hope and a people of promise, what are the seven core values of what we believe in? And the very first one was that we prayerfully value Scripture. Now that was simply a reflection back to our articles of faith. For ever since the inception of our church, we have believed as a denomination in the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. That was one of the foundation truths of our denomination, that we believe both in the inerrancy and the authority of God's Word, the Bible. But in 1965, we added this statement to our beliefs. We believe in the verbal and plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, known as the Bible, composed of 66 books and divided into two departments, Old and New Testament. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, the full and complete revelation 
of the plan and history of redemption. Now, you need to notice a couple of words. We believe in the inspiration that God inspired it. And we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Not that it contains the Word of God, but that it is the Word of God. All 66 books, Old and New Testament. And so out of that basic belief, we developed what we call a covenant of commitment. And based on, on our belief in the inspiration and the authority of God's Word, this covenant of commitment addresses eight areas in our Christian life. Our mind, our body, our spirit, our speech, our relationship, our family, our stewardship, and our loyalty. But when we came to the end of that, even though it is loaded and filled with scriptures, we realized that it was not exhaustive. So we ended the covenant commitment by saying the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, is our complete and final authority. And so we prayerfully value scripture. Now it's an impossibility for me to, to, all, to do all the historical uh, uh, proofs of the inspiration of the scripture and the fulfillment of prophecy. If we tried to do that, that's about three semesters in college. So there's no way we can do that. So I want to kind of approach it from a different angle. Our overall verse this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 17. And it simply is a question of a king in the midst of turmoil. And he comes to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, Is there any word from the Lord? Is there any word from the Lord? So I want to tell you this morning, we value Scripture. And we value it because of the beginning of Scripture. And I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 13 through 17 in the message. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. As long as they are out there, things can only get worse. But don't let it phase you. Stick with what you've learned and believed sure of the integrity of your teachers why you took in the sacred scripture with your mother's milk there's nothing like the written word of god for showing you the way of salvation through faith in christ jesus every part of scripture is god breathed every scripture is inspired of god and useful one way or another showing us truth exposing our rebellion correcting our mistakes training us to live god's way through the word we are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for us. Every scripture is God-breathed. It is God-birthed. And then in uh, 2 Peter, I want you to turn with me there to chapter 1 and verse 20. And again in the message Bible. The main thing to keep in mind here is that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of private interpretation or opinion. And why? Because it is not something concocted in the human heart. Prophecy resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men and women to speak God's word. King James simply says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by, carried along, ferried along by the Holy Spirit. So that every scripture is God-breathed. And men of old wrote as the Holy Spirit carried them along and enabled them to write so we believe in scripture and value it because of the birth of scripture in Galatians chapter 4 Paul puts it like this he said it is not so much that we know God but rather we are known of God in other words the only way that we can know God is that God has taken the initiative to reveal himself to us he has made himself known to us in fact, he did it through his name because his name is Yahweh or literally Jehovah. And that name means he is the self-existing one that makes himself known as. He is the one that was and is and always shall be. He is the same yesterday and today and forever and he changes not. And so this self-existing God has made himself known or revealed himself as. And so we put compound names. We say he is Jehovah, the self-existing one, but he's Jireh. He's the self-existing one that provides himself a sacrifice. He is Jehovah Nissi. He's the self-existing one that reveals himself as our banner and our shield that puts our enemies to fight. 
He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the one who reveals himself as a shepherd. He's Jehovah Rapha. He reveals himself as a healer. He's Jehovah Shema. He's the one that reveals himself as being present. He's Jehovah Shalom. He reveals himself as our peace. So this self-existing God makes himself known. Well, the wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 7, 8, and 9 that wisdom becomes personified. And he said, wisdom has built a temple and she has hewn out her seven pillars. So that what he is saying is that God has chosen to reveal himself in seven different ways. He has made himself known to us. And the first pillar is simply direct communication. God spoke directly to man. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And God would speak with them and they'd have fellowship together. And then God directly communicated to Noah told him to build the ark. God directly communicated to Abraham, called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. God spoke to Moses from the bush. And through direct communication, God was revealing who he was and what his plan and purpose was for man. And then not only through direct communication, but God spoke through angels. He sent heavenly messengers. And they spoke to Abraham. And they spoke to Moses. And they spoke to Joshua. And the angels conveyed the nature of God and they conveyed what the purpose and the will and the plan of God was all about. And then uh, David says in Psalm chapter 8 that God revealed himself through creation or nature. In other words, David said he is El, Elion, the strong, the mighty, powerful God. And he says, when I consider your handiwork, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordered and ordained, when I see all of your creation, what is man that you are mindful of him? or the Son of Man, that you would visit him. He said, in fact, creation reveals to me who God is. And he reveals the purpose and the plan of God even when I behold creation. And then God gave the law. And there on the top of Mount Sinai, he gave Moses and wrote them with the finger of God those Ten Commandments. And they dealt with man's relationship with God and man's relationship with men. And God was saying through the law, I know the things that will bless you, and I know the things that will curse you. And I love you enough to tell you what they are. Amen? And then God revealed himself through the prophet. And the prophet would become the oracle of God, the mouthpiece of divinity. And he would speak as the Holy Spirit would carry him along. And through the prophet's word, he revealed God, the character of God, the plan and the purpose of God, and he brought man back to the law. But that's not the greatest way God revealed himself. For the Bible says, in sundry times and in divers manners, God spake in times past to our fathers by the prophets. But he has spoken to us in these last days by his Son, whom he hath made heir of all things. So that when Jesus came, he said, No man comes to the Father but by me. I and my Father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen my Father. The only way that you can really know who God is as you see who I am because I'm going to reveal God to you. So John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him and without Him there was not anything made which was made. But the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and tabernacled with us and moved into our neighborhood and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and full of truth. In fact, the Bible said no man has seen God at any time but the Son who comes from the bosom of the Father he hath made him known. It literally said Jesus came out of the heart of God and the only way that you can understand the Father is as you see Jesus. For the Bible said of Jesus, He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end and the first and the last. And the Alpha and the Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So what the Bible says is when God wants to speak to you, He speaks through the alphabet of His Son. Everything you need to know about the character of God. Everything you need to know about the redemption of God. Everything you need to know, Jesus speaks to you in this generation and shows you who God is and what God wants to accomplish in your life. Well, after he spoke through the Son, he completed that revelation through the giving of his word. And the Bible said, Men of old begin to write as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit picked them up and carried them along, ferried them along, and that every scripture is God-birthed. He used the mind and the intellect and the vocabulary of man. But every word was God-breathed and God-birthed. God 
brought it into existence so that we believe that all scripture is valuable we value it because it's good for profit it is profit and beneficial for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness so that will make us be mature and complete perfected so that we will be prepared to do every good work we value the scripture because it was birthed of God in other words there are three main words for word. There's the Logos, which is both the written and the living word of God. There's the Biblios, which is the book, the written word of God. And there is the Rhema, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. Where the Holy Spirit takes one small section of this written word, begotten and birthed of God, and makes it a sword in your hand for that exact moment, specific moment in your life that you need to put the enemy to flight. In the Old Testament, the word of God meant something that was brought into life something that was known or received to order or to array to speak with clarity uh, to guide so forth but in the New Testament the word for the word it means to write to draw it means a painting so the word is a picture of God it is a portrait of Jesus Christ and the plan of salvation it is a picture of God's dealing with men it is the recording of stories that speak the truth about God and speak the truth about the church and reveal to us the purpose and the will of God for us right now. And over 3,000 times, the Bible says, and God spoke. God painted the picture in order to show. So the word, we value it because it's birth of God. But it is not only birth of God, God built it. Do you understand that this book came into existence over 1,500 years with over 40 writers, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Over 40 men moved of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Some of them were prophets. Some of them were kings. Some of them were shepherds. Others were farmers. Some of them were priests. They were fishermen. They were judges. One was a tax collector and one was a doctor. And yet the Holy Spirit picked them all up with their different vocabularies, with their different intellect, and the Holy Spirit carried them along and breathed and birthed every word in them. Some of them were educated, others weren't. They spoke it in Hebrew, they spoke it in Aramaic, they spoke it in Greek. But over that period of time, God brought it all together so that the Old Testament canon was completed in 5 to 400 B.C. And the New Testament canon, or the 27 books, came into existence in 300 A.D. So, what I'm trying to tell you is that these men were used of God. God not only birthed his word, but he used them to build it and to form it. And he, I don't have time to go into the history of the canons and how it was brought together in the translations. You're going to have to read that on your own. But the fact is, God divinely preserved it. God brought it together. And, and the magnificence of it is that it all fits. One man put it like this. He said, what if you had 40 different sculptures? And, and these sculptures, uh, sculptors lived in 40 different parts of the world. They'd never seen one another, and they never corresponded with one another. And they carved out one piece in a marble. And then you brought those 40 pieces of marble together, and they fit perfectly, every angle, every cut, into a beautiful, complete, magnificent statue. That's exactly what God did with his word so that it all fits. That We've got Genesis, which is the beginning, but we have Revelation, which is the completion, and that every part fits together so we know that it was inspired by God. God not only birthed it, but he built it and he preserved that word. For he said, Thy word, O Lord, is established forever. Heaven and earth might pass away, but my word will not pass away. Jesus said, Not one jot, which is an apostrophe, and not one tittle, which is a dot over the eye, will ever pass away until all is fulfilled. I built it. I brought it together. I will preserve it. It is established forever. It is my divine word. Amen. Well, hallelujah. In fact, the best example is Diocletian, who was a Roman emperor, early part, the latter part of 200 A.D. and the first part of 300 A.D. He determined to destroy the church. He burnt the church. He burnt Christians. He burnt every Bible he could find. In fact, he came to the place, he made a declaration, and we know it because he made a medal 
and presented to the people. And the lettering on the metal say, Christian, the Christian religion is destroyed. And now the worship of the gods, plural, is restored. But after he died, there was a new leader by the name of Constantine that converted to Christianity. And when he converted in the middle of 300 A.D., he said, isn't there a scripture somewhere that we can restore? And they, though Diocletian's thought, he had done away with it all. Within 24 hours, there were 50 copies of the Bible in the hand uh, of Constantine because God preserved and established his word. He not only breathed it and birthed it, but he built it. So we value it. But we also value it not simply because God birthed it and built it, but we value the Scripture because of the beauty of God's Scripture. And I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. And he put it like this in verse 12. He said, For the Word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. I like it like this in the King James. For the word of God is quick and alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We value it because of its beauty. 1 Peter 1 and 23 says that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the living word of God, which is alive and remains, abideth forever. The word of law, the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word where we preach the gospel unto you. In other words, Peter is saying there is a power in the word. There is a life in the word. There is a beauty in the word. And so the Bible says it is a lamp and a light to your feet and to your path. It is a sword that both destroys sins and protects you from the enemy. It is both our offensive and our defensive weapon. It is a fire, Jeremiah said, that is shut up in your bones. It is a hammer that crushes all the kingdoms of the world. It is a seed that produces. It is bread. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God the Father. It is milk. And we're to desire the sincere milk of the word that we might grow by thereby. But it's not just milk, it is meat so that we can become mature. And it's not just meat, but the Bible said it's like honey in the rock. It is sweet in our mouth. It is water that cleanses us. It is a mirror that reveals it uh, ourselves. And it is a discerner of the intent of our heart. And so we value it because of its beauty. Why? Because it reveals God. It reveals God's nature. It reveals God's character. All you have to do is read three psalms together. Chapter 22, 23, and 24. And in chapter 22, he is the suffering Savior that will lay down his life for the sheep. But in Psalm 23, he is the good shepherd that leads us beside still waters and brings us into green pastures and prepares a table before us and anoints our head with oil. But by the time you get to Psalm chapter 24, he is the sovereign shepherd. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. See, the scripture is alive, and it reveals him, and it reveals the way he deals with man. But most of all, the scripture reveals his son. I have to do is start studying it. In Genesis, he is the seed of woman that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. And by the time you get to Exodus, he's the Passover lamb and the great I am. And Leviticus, he's the high priest over the household of God and the Shekinah glory that dwells between the wings of the cherubim. And by the time you get to Numbers, he's that smitten rock that follows them that provides water. He's manna from heaven. He is a cloud by day and a fire by night. By Deuteronomy, he is a prophet like unto Moses. And by the time you get to Joshua, he is the captain of the Lord's host and the captain of God's army. And in Judges, he is a deliverer and a champion and a savior of Israel. And by the time you get to Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. And when you really get in the word, you'll find in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, he is a king like unto David. And he's going to set up on his father's throne. And of his kingdom, there's going to be no end. And when you, get, when you get to Esther and Nehemiah, he is the restorer of broken down walls. And when you get uh, to Esther, he's our intercessor. And when you get to Job, he is a daysman, a referee, an umpire between us and God. He is my redeemer that liveth and will stand upon the earth at the latter day. And in Psalms, his name is a strong tower 
Warren, he's the good shepherd. And in Proverbs, uh, he is a, the, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And in Ecclesiastes, he's the end of all matters. But when you get the Song of Solomon, he's fairer than 10,000. He's a bright morning star. He's the lily of every valley and the rose of Sharon's pasture land. And then when you get over to Isaiah, he is Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. He is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. He was wounded for my transgressions. Oh, he was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace is upon him, and by his stripes I am healed. He is a spirit anointed supplier of my need. But when you get over to Jeremiah, he's a bomb in Gilead. <laughs> and, and when you get down to Ezekiel, he's a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And you, when you get over to Daniel, he's an angel in the den of lions. And he's the fourth man walking in the fiery furnace. And he's a rock hewn out of the mountain without hands. Oh, glory to God. And when you get into the, what we call the minor prophets, he's a coming king. He's the root and offspring of David. He's the desire of all nations. And when you end in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness that is rising with healing in his wings. And when you get to Matthew, he's the, the, the Messiah to the Jew. But when you get to Mark, he's the Messiah to the Gentile. And when you get to Luke, he's the son of man. But when you get to John, he's the son of God. And by the time you get to Acts, he's resurrected, victorious, triumphant, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, and working in his church by the power of the Holy Spirit and when you turn to the epistles he's the savior, sanctifier, baptizer coming king, he's the head of the church but don't stop till you get to revelation because he's the first begotten from the dead and the true and faithful witness, he alone holds the keys to death and to hell he's the line of the tribe of Judah, he's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world but don't stop till you get over there to the latter part of the book. And he's coming on a white horse. And he's got a vesture dipped in blood. And a crown on his head. And he's got a new name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are the center of it all. Now that's why we value it. Because the beauty of what it reveals. But it also reveals man. Our creation, our fall, our sin, our rebellion. Our present condition. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why I know the Bible's real. Because I, if I'd written it, I'd left some things out, thank you. And so would you. But the Bible didn't. No, it records David's adultery. It records the fact that Peter denied him three times and cursed now, see, it, it reveals the true story of man in our condition. But it doesn't stop there. It reveals God's covenant relationship with man, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God's plan of redemption for men. What he promised in Genesis with the seed of woman is now completed in the book of Revelation. And he's not only redeemed unto himself a church, but he's going to deal with sin and Satan and the false, cry, uh, false Christ and the, anti uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And he's going to establish a righteous kingdom for a thousand years. And he's going to build a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And he's going to usher in the eternal ages. It's all going to be completed. It reveals God's presence and provisions for our immediate situations. We value it because it's beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. You can't read that without being moved. Amen. Oh, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then get over there and Jesus says, Blessed is the man. And you get over to 1 Corinthians and love is. And Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is. And as you begin to read it, we value it not only because of who it reveals and how it reveals him, but simply because it is absolutely beautiful. Oh, but thirdly, we value the Scripture because of the blessings that it brings. That's Jeremiah 3 and 37 17. The old king, his father had burned Jeremiah's scroll, rejected the word. And now the son finds himself surrounded by the Chaldeans and the Babylonians. And, and in that, that, that throes of being attacked, he's got to have a word. And he pulls Jeremiah out of prison. And he simply says, is there any word from the Lord and I've come to tell you this morning there is a word from God the word will never pass away there is always a word from God 
We have not only the written word and the spoken word and the living word, but it is the foundation for our life and living. It deals with every issue of life we face. It is both the general and the specific will of God. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. My word will not return void unto me, but it will accomplish the purpose wherein to I have sent it. So we value because of the blessing. Because we have a word of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. And so the Bible says if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth I shall be saved. That we're saved by grace through faith not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God. We've been born again not of corruptible things like silver and gold but by the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb of God. He took my sins out of the way nailed them to his own cross so that I that was steeped in sin might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus oh hallelujah there's a word of salvation but there's a word of sanctification this is the will of God even your sanctification that you abstain from fornication so that you'll know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate Jesus loved the church and gave himself forth that he might sanctify it through the washing of the word of God oh we've got a word of sanctification and we got a word of the Spirit-filled life. If your earthly father knows how to good give good good gifts give good gifts to his children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? Do not be filled with wine where it is excess and overflow and debauchery, but keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, for the promise is unto you and unto your children and those that are far off, and as many as the Lord thy God shall fall. We got a word of healing. By his stripes we were healed, with his stripes we are healed. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord himself shall raise us up. And if we commit his sins, they shall be forgiven them. Because he set in his church not only miracles and faith, but the gift of healing. So we have a word of healing. Oh, But we not just have a word of healing. We have a word of deliverance. How that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And he went about doing good and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them for their destructions. We have a word of supply. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you well hallelujah <laughs> glory to God I, I, I had a birthday so this is the one I like once I was young and now I'm old but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed of begging bread <laughs> because we've got a word of divine supply and not only that we have a word of strength for the joy of the Lord is my strength and his grace is sufficient and when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him and put him to flight. And not only that, we have a word of assistance. Because the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but oh, I'm with you always to the end of this generation that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what God has done unto me. If God be for us, who can be against us? He's an ever-present help in the time of need. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against the enemy and put the enemy to flight. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. They that be for us are more than they that be for them. That's why we value the word. It's a word of blessing. It's a word of rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. It's a word of joy. Because not only is the joy of the Lord our strength, but it is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we have a word of love because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that's given unto us. And we have a word of peace because he keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the Lord. And he said, my peace I give unto you, uh, not as the world gives, give I unto you. And it will be a peace that passes all understanding. And we have a word of assurance. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're the child of God adopted into the family of God. And we have a word of power. Amen. He said, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions 
and nothing by any means shall harm you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every voice that rises against you in, in, in judgment, you will condemn. He said, I give you power over all manner of sicknesses and disease. He said, greater is the power of God that is within you than the power of God that is within this world. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of the soundness of mind. We have a word of hope. Which hope we have as an assurance of our soul, sure and steadfast that reaches behind the veil and anchors us to eternity. And most of all, we have a word of victory, for we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He will bruise feet, Satan under our feet shortly. He said, thanks be to God who causes us always to triumph in Jesus Christ. And I got news for you. I've turned over and read the last chapter of the book. I've not only read the first chapter where we fell and botched it, but I've gone to the last chapter, and guess what? Through Jesus Christ, we win. That's why we love Scripture. God birthed it. God built it. It is beautiful and reveals God, but it provides all the blessings we need. It provides every situation that we have need of. But there's one other reason why we pay. Not only because of the blessing, but what I call the burden. And I want to read this to you from James chapter 1 and verse 22 through 25. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it is like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself, Walk away and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You see, the weight and the burden of God's Word is this. It shows God birthed it. It proves God built it. It brings the beauty of a revelation of God and the plan of salvation. And it brings all the blessings of the provisions and the promises of God that we need. But the weight is, and no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how magnificent it is, no matter how powerful and quick and alive it is, no matter what the promises are and the assurances are, until you do it, it has no effect in your life. See, the weight of the word is that we become hearers. The message says you just use it in Bible studies. But you don't ever work it down into your life. You all know the word. The things I've quoted this morning, you hear the word all the time. You hear the Biblios preached every Sunday. You, you understand that Jesus is the Logos, the living word, that he's quick and alive and that he's brought new life, and you've got the living word within you. You hear the written word all the time, but it never becomes a rhema word. It never becomes the sword of the Spirit that puts the enemy to flight and brings the provision in your life until you become doers of the word. He said, you're like the foolish man who walks up to the mirror and looks at his face, and, and the word's sharp, quick, and powerful, and it shows you just what you look like. It's a revealer of the thought and the intents and the desires and the situations in your life. And you see that in the mirror. But you never improve your appearance. You just walk away from the mirror and you don't get two feet away until all of a sudden you forget what you even look like. Because it is not being hearers of the word that receive from God. It's being doers of the word. See, that's what Jesus tried to tell you in Matthew 7 and Luke chapter 6. He said, it's not the forces that you face in life that make you successful. It's your foundation. He said, in fact, the forces you face in life are the same to everybody. They're all, all of us face wind that is contrary and rain that beats down upon our house and waves that seek to overwhelm us and streams that overflow their banks and sweep and seek to sweep us off the foundation and wash us away. We all face situations and circumstances in life. They're the same to everybody. In fact, the Bible says, nay, in all these things, you're more than conquerors. Didn't say you was going to miss any of them. 
Amen. Well, that really made you happy. No, the forces are the same. The difference is not the force of what you're facing. It's the foundation of your life. And Jesus said, the wise man builds the foundation on hearing and doing the will of my Father. So that you can hear it every Sunday. You can use it in Bible study. You, you, can, you can study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can work it down into your being. But if you don't obey it, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how quick and powerful and alive it is, it'll never change your circumstance and your situation. You have to do it. You want redemption? Then you have to do what the Bible says. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you repent, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, until you do that, you can have a revelation of God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. You can know all the Romans' road to salvation. But until you confess, until you repent, you're never going to be redeemed. Because you can't just be a hearer. You have to be a doer. Oh, man, you, okay. I'm trying to quit. <laughs> but you're looking at me. See, well, we all think it's beautiful. We all know the promises and the provisions and the blessings of God's Word. I, I, we all believe it's inspired of God. God birthed and built it. But the burden is we don't do it. You want, you want revival? You got to do it. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Revival's not going to come until we do that. Relationship? Oh, Brother Bob. It's just like wind and rain and, and streams beating against my house and my relationships are out of work. Well, do it. But you know what the Bible says? If you know that your brother has ought against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go be reconciled to your brother, then you come back and offer your worship. Well, that bounced all the way up here. You know what he said in Matthew chapter 18? If your brother has trespassed against you, transgressed against you, then you go one-on-one -on -one with your brother and you tell your brother the fault between you and him and you've gained your brother. And if he won't hear you, you take the mouth of two or three witnesses so that every word can be confirmed. And if he won't hear them, then you tell the church. And if he won't hear the church, then you treat him like a heathen and a publican. And how do you treat heathens and publicans? You love them, pray for them, care for them, try to bring them back. You know why it doesn't work? Because he's the great physician and he has a great prescription and we won't take it. We're just like my old mom. She'd go to a doctor until a doctor would tell her truth and then she'd find another doctor. And the doctor would give her a prescription and it would say plainly on the label, take this four times a day. You know what she'd tell me? Son, I'm going to try half of one of these pills and if it makes me feel better, I might take the rest. Why, why would you go to the expense of going to the doctor and not take the prescription? But the problem is we're hearers, but we're not doers. So somebody offends us, and instead of going on one, we jump right over and tell the whole church. And we wonder why. Amen. And you've got a circle of influence in the church, and so do I. I have people in the church believe anything I tell them. So if I go tell them how bad you are and how awful you are, now they're going to be mad because I'm mad. That, oh, you see, you've got to start right if you're going to end right. And none of the benefits and the beauty and the magnificence of God's Word can ever be applied until you do it. It is the person that hears these words of mine and doeth them that builds the right foundation. So, we have to value the word by doing it. You know what Mary said? She said, whatever he says to you, do it. You know what Jesus said? 
when people needed something from you, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. Go, blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. When he obeyed, he, he saw. Disciples, go loose the donkey, bring him. When they obeyed, Peter, go down to the lake and catch a fish, open his mouth, and you'll find a gold coin, pay your tax and mine. And as they did what the Word of God told them to do, they received. Don't you remember Peter? He's on board the boat, and Jesus comes on board. Boat's empty, nets are empty, circumstances of life are about to swallow him up. And he says, Peter, let down your net for a harvest of fish. And Peter said, uh, Lord, uh, we have fished all night and we haven't taken anything. Sound like us, doesn't it? And then he said, nevertheless, at thy word. And the moment he became a hearer and a doer. And he let down that net. The net is filled. The boat is overflowing. The need is supplied. That's why the Bible says, if you want to see, receive anything from God, then according to your faith, so be it unto you. All things are possible with God, but all things are possible to them that believe. For without faith it is impossible to please God, because when you come to God, you must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. So whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church, let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. You got to do it. Oh, hallelujah. Okay. So, we believe the Scripture. We value it. All of it. We let it guide our lives. Come out from among them, touch not the unclean thing. I'll receive you unto myself. Have no, no uh, fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let all wrath and clamor and anger and evil speaking be put away from you. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, you're looking at me. That's not Bob. That's the word, you know. And he said the only way that you're going to receive from God is when you put it in practice. The living word, Jesus, brings the written word, the Biblios. And when you do it, Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. For if you ask anything according to my will, then I hear you. And if I hear you, then you know you have the things that you desire me. You have to do it. How many of you believe it's God birthed? Holy Spirit, carry me. God built it and preserved it. How many of you believe the word's beautiful? Shows Jesus, shows God, shows redemption. How many of you believe there's all kinds of blessings and inherent promises of God or yeah and amen? How many of you want to receive them? Then he says, be a doer. I close with this. Give shall be given unto you good measure pressed down shaken together running over shall mean given to your bosom we quote that all the time don't we? but remember the first part give Lord I want all your blessings give the one I love is the one we misquote because the storms come and the waves beat and the and the floods come against our house and we say resist the devil and he'll flee from you draw nigh unto God God will draw nigh unto you except we just misquoted it because there's a whole statement in front of it and it says submit yourself therefore unto God then you can resist the devil because when you're out of alignment with God you can resist the devil all day long and he ain't moving but when you get in alignment with God and His Word, when you submit yourself unto God, then you can stand with the rhema word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And you can draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. All the benefits, the beauty, the blessings, the magnificence of the Word is dependent upon the burden. 
if you do it. So if you need redemption this morning, it's already available. Jesus already died, resurrected, ascended. But you have to confess. If you want a revival, you have to turn from your wicked way and pray. If you want right relationship, you got to go. If you want the blessings of God, you got to give. At his word, I let down the net. And when you become a doer, then all the blessings of God become yea and amen in him. Father, I thank you right now for your presence. I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that's in this place. Lord, we value your word. It is the foundation of our life. It is the rock that we built our life on that repels the storms and the winds and the overflowing forces of this world. But we need to be doers. All of the beauty and the blessing comes through doing. Simply obey. And I pray that right now those who know your word and yet still haven't received the, the benefits and the blessings would become doers. Doers of your word. So that we can receive. For you said if you abide in me and my word abides and lives in you you can ask what you will in my name and it shall be done. It shall be done. Make us doers. I want you to stand with me right now. If, if you... It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.